0: Hello and welcome back. I'm Ashok Malik and my guest is Nick Clegg, former Deputy Prime Minister of the UK, President Global Affairs of Meta. And if you look at Meta in in another form really, as an independent country with 3.5 million people uh, living in it or using it, he would be Foreign Minister of the world's largest country. Uh, Welcome to Raisena, Nick. And uh, let me begin straight away with My first question, your company and its its dazzlingly successful products uh, are chased by a number of consumers and users, but also find find themselves in in several regulatory storms. Uh, You often find yourself on the opposite side of the table with national governments and even the EU now uh, in terms of data protection, privacy, uh, disinformation, fake news, data storage, and so on. As India finalizes its own data law, which I'm sure you're aware of, I'm presuming this data law will be a signal to other democracies, especially of the global south. Uh, what are Meta's hopes and fears?
1: Well, f- firstly, thanks so much for, for inviting me to, to join you. And um, I think uh, everybody at Meta is, is acutely aware of the fact that we need new rules of the Internet Um Many of the you know big um, online companies these days are, are very young companies. I mean, Facebook, as I often say, was founded by uh, Mark um, Zuckerberg and and his uh, colleagues and friends. Um, I think the day after or the week after Roger Federer first became number one in world men's tennis. So the the Federer tennis era has actually gone on for longer than the existence of Facebook and now Meta as a company. And so these are young companies. who have experienced explosive growth over the last decade and a half with a profound, um, um, I think, largely uh, positive uh, consequences for many societies uh, around families and individuals around the world. But I think it is right, just like many other industries in the past, there is often a time lag between technological innovation and the necessary regulation that that takes place. And we um, look forward to working uh, collaboratively and o- openly and in a, in a, in a responsible man- manner with uh, legislators and regulators in India as we do with legislators and regulators around the world as those new guardrails, as those new regulations or rules are, are put in place. And of course, you know, India, as the world's you know, largest democracy, it has one of the world's most vibrant uh, digital economies. It has one of the world's largest online populations. Uh, plays a crucial role in not only setting the rules for itself, for India, but also uh, setting uh, an example which will no doubt be followed by other jurisdictions um, around the world. And I I hope what we will all bear in mind as um, companies evolve and as governments and parliaments pass new legislation is that whatever new rules are put in place... I hope we will all work together to safeguard the openness of a borderless Internet, because that is what that is the remarkable thing that the Internet has brought to the world in in, in recent years. And it's not just a theoretical value. I, I read recently of a, of a report, an independent uh, research report in India that found that if there was just a decline of one percent in cross-border data flows, uh, that could impact India's uh, own global trade. By close to seven hundred million um, uh, U.S. Mm-hmm. dollars, and so the the value of an open internet, of the open flow of, of data across borders, is is not something which just allows individuals to um, share uh, photos and videos of, 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 of birthdays, of, of children's parties, of family holidays, of, of of personal and family events. But it is also the lifeblood of the global. Um, modern economy. And we hope that even as regulation is introduced, we continue to safeguard those open data flows. Thanks, Nick. Uh,
0: your very astute remarks lead me to two follow-up questions. The first is simply this. There is an inherent tension between governments with a very cut-and-dry approach to regulation, something they understand and something they'd like to understand. And uh, a more libertarian uh, ecosystem in California that has led to the, the, the birth and evolution of these big digital companies. Uh, is this tension tension irreconcilable or can we reach a sweet spot? How difficult will it be?
1: Well, I, th- I think you've identified the, 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 the tension. It's a tension between technology and politics and between innovation and political sovereignty. And I think they always... Uh, they always somewhat bump up uh, against each other. If you just look at the history of any technological change, from uh, the combustion engine to telephones, from you know email to the radio, it, 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 you know technology by definition, particularly technology which has widespread adoption, um, can lead to societal and political uh, reactions. Um, and I think that is a natural process uh, as the Uh, Online world matures, and as these uh, online technologies like social media, and as we now move forward to building the new computing platforms of the future, of augmented and virtual reality uh, technologies, the so called metaverse, I think that's that sort of push you pull me dynamic between technologists, uh, whether it's on the west coast of of, of America or in, you know, amongst the uh, uh, numerous. A uh, world-beating uh, unicorns uh, born in in India or or other uh, major uh, centres of online dynamism? I think there's always going to be a bit of uh, a tension with the uh, regulatory and the political process. But um, I think in many ways, China almost exemplifies what happens if you if you don't get that balance right. In other words, if politics completely triumphs over the promise of technology, because the you know, the great firewall of China has in effect cut off um, Chinese citizens from the online world beyond China's borders. And of course, the Chinese paradigm of the Internet is one entirely driven by political priorities, not driven by the privacy or the rights of of, 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 uh, of individuals. And it's led to this approach to the Internet, which is um, closed, um, segmented. Uh, fragmented and based on very heavy surveillance of people within who are, who are within that um, Chinese firewall. And I suspect one of the knock-on effects of the uh, current um, invasion by Russia of uh, Ukraine will be that there might be further movement towards that fragmentation of the internet. And I think that would be a great shame. And I think it would be a great disservice to India, which in many ways is one of the world's preeminent. Uh, online powerhouses and is likely to grow even further in its in its sort of influence and its sway in the online world in the years to come.
0: So let's develop the point about internet fragmentation a little more and go back to your earlier uh, appeal uh, to, to retain a borderless internet to the degree possible. Uh, the splinternet, as some people call it, an extreme version of internet fragmentation, is... Uh, if not imminent, it's it's a clear and present danger or risk. Uh, Facebook and Meta's other wonderful platforms uh, rode the wave of wa- the one universal Internet. What does the siloed new world mean for you, both for your business model and, more important, what does this, this mesh of uh, domestic privacy regimes, universal values, and digital balkanization uh, mean for us, the, the global publics?
1: so i i it. did you ask what the word sovereignty mean no no the, the
0: the the idea of a, a fragmented internet a, a splinternet as it were uh, what does yeah. it mean for for facebook or or meta's business model and what does it mean for the the broader idea of uh, internet freedom for domestic for for global publics who who, who are facing uh, the challenge of domestic privacy regimes universal values and digital Balkanization you know uh, three uh, three angles to a triangle that doesn't don't seem to meet
1: well i think uh, as you suggest there is definitely a, a tension which exists there but I, I i i hope and i believe that one of the um uh consequences of the burgeoning debate between the tech sector between governments between politicians and and Uh, um, and tech innovators is that not only do uh, governments quite rightly want to form their own rules for how the internet is governed within their own borders, but there's a huge um, premium, I think, which is now placed on the ability for governments to work on a multilateral and um, a global level. And so uh, if you look, for instance, at the quad principles that uh, India uh, has recently uh, subscribed to, which um, entrenches the importance of democratic values, uh, recognizes um, you know the potential for, t- for, for technology as a force for good uh, that encourages collaboration on security on trust on safety in the o- online world and 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 seeks to work across those four major jurisdictions in terms of boosting online entrepreneurship i guess a very good example of precisely how um, Uh, international political consensus is starting to take shape as well. The EU and the US has also uh, entered into a a more structured dialogue. I personally think it would make a tremendous difference to the long-term destination of global governance of the internet if the three great democratic digital powers in the world today, namely India, the US and the European Union, were to work more closely together and were to align on some of those principles together.
0: Uh, your use of the word align is interesting because big digital platforms have been accused in the past of uh, uh, gaming regulatory systems and in a sense going jurisdiction shopping. Do you think that's been a fair criticism and uh, uh, either way whether it's been fair or unfair uh, do you think that is any longer sustainable, or are we moving away from it to a more enlightened regulatory system? Uh,
1: no, I, look, I, I, we've been very explicit for, for some years now that we believe that um, regulation is not only inevitable; that if well crafted and, and done in a thoughtful and proportionate way, is actually helpful to the long term, um, you know, to a long term thriving digital ecosystem, and, and, you know, we, for for example, we've taken significant efforts to work towards, you know, compliance with India's uh, IT rules, Um, and we want to work constructively, as I said earlier, with the government on the current data protection bill. Uh, We're a law-abiding company. We must obey the law of the jurisdictions we uh, operate in. It doesn't mean that we will um, in any way be shy in saying where we think regulation or legislation doesn't make sense or, or is not workable or, or, or is not going to keep up with technological um, uh, events. We will have our own uh, developments. We will have our own points of view. But I think um, if that allegation ever had any um, merit to it, uh, namely the idea that um, you know tech companies were jurisdiction shopping, I think that's um, very much in the past. I think we all, uh, everybody in the tech sector, acknowledges that regulation is is unfolding now and that we must work towards, you know, thoughtful, uh, uh, thoughtful and consistent compliance. Great. Uh, let's talk about the
0: pandemic, which has uh, reordered our world in many ways. It's also left the world much more digital than before the pandemic. And in this post-pandemic, more digital world, Data is at the core of how many countries and societies are looking to give a boost to economic growth. Uh, The Indian digital economy is is booming, as you yourself have suggested. At the end of 2021, India had 44 unicorns. By 2025, uh, it's estimated that there could be as many as 250 unicorns. How does Meta see itself or see its contribution in this broader Indian digital economy?
1: Well, I mean, first, I think you know India has such a significant data dividend because, in large part, because of the success of the Digital India program, which has you know really helped to ensure that all the major building blocks of a modern, you know, technology-driven economy have been put in place. Um, and, and as you say, I mean, the 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 the, the, the kind of evidence of uh, digital growth in India is just extraordinary. A record number of unicorn mm-hmm. startups emerging from India. India, I think, is now on track, amazingly, to, to have the largest app developer base in the world by 2024. And startups are creating India-specific tech-enabled solutions at huge scale across sectors, as you know, diverse as education, commerce financial services, agri-tech, and, and, and so on. Um, and, and, you know, we believe that technology companies like Meta, we hope that we can play a, a critical and positive role in the growth of India's digital economy. We've invested in the digital ecosystem in India. We, we've invested in startups like uh, Misho, online shopping startup, and um, Unacademy, an education startup, uh, in 2021, 20, yeah, last year, we established the Center for uh, Fueling India's New Economy with the express goal of digitally uh, upskilling and, and empowering 10 million entrepreneurs and a quarter of a million artists uh, and creators. Uh, and we're already exploring the, the possible synergy uh, between us um, you know, as a platform, as a digital platform and the skilling uh, uh, ecosystem. And as you know, we we use various digital tools which are available to us, including WhatsApp um, chatbots and augmented reality to provide that immersive learning and to share entrepreneurial skills um, at scale. And and I think one of the other things that um, we have done is that because of the sophistication of India as a digital market, uh, we have often um, taken an India-first approach when we roll out new, you know, products globally. So the launch of reels on Instagram, for instance, and payments on WhatsApp. These are new thing and, and, and new programs, such as enabling access to loans for small business. You know, we're actively testing those innovations in India because if it works in india it's going to work in the world for the just because of the sheer scale and sophistication of india's digital economy
0: uh nick your enthusiasm and, and uh, uh, excitement about india is 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 heartwarming and very almost infectious and we do hope to see you at rise in our next year in person yeah uh, i'd like to end with one final question uh, a somewhat personal one you've made the transition from politics politics to Tech politics, uh, which is more complicated. Uh, this is not a facetious question because, as you must agree, tech has emerged as as a key driver of global politics today in a manner we've,
1: it's probably never been. So, how do you manage to transition? Well, I, I mean, I, I feel very lucky that i made the transition. I, you know, I'm 55 and I'm mid 50s, and it's it's I've got oodles of energy, and I'm I'm very grateful that I haven't just ended up on the Post-politics scrappy, which is often the fate for people who've you know reached the, the top or close to the top of the political tree in in, in the United Kingdom. Um, uh, and it's uh, you know I'm, I'm hugely enjoying what I'm doing. It's 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 um, it's constantly shifting, uh, and the and the sheer velocity and diversity of the issues that I deal with at, at Meta as 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 a, as a president here, at, at, at global affairs dealing with all of the companies. Uh, policy issues and, and many other things besides does remind me many ways of the, of the sheer velo- velocity and, and sort of versatility of, of, of um, and diversity, rather, of issues that you experience in government. But when you ask me, you know, which one is more complicated, I think um, I think governing is always immensely and almost uniquely complicated and uh, you know i was deputy prime minister for half a decade for five years in the wake of that terrible economic shock which the united kingdom and many other countries of the world experienced after after the 2008 financial crisis and we really had this unenviable job of having to kind of do a cleanup operation after this you know this this really this economic catastrophe in the heart of our economy which was very over-reliant on financial services at the time, and. Yeah, you know, it was an exercise in having to make thousands of choices every day, knowing that not a single one of those choices was ever going to keep everybody happy. Happy. So to that extent, I think um, uh, politics and perhaps more especially the politics of government when countries are going through difficult periods of transition is almost uniquely complex.
0: Almost as complex as Facebook, some would say. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nick Clegg, and uh, have a wonderful rest of today. And as I said, see you at Raisena here in New Delhi in person next year.
1: Well, I very much hope to see you in person. and Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.